This is message number eight, part two, on our study of the red heifer, a continuation of part one. Now, Paul makes a definite statement here. He makes a comparison between the outward man, the flesh, and the inward man that lives inside that physical body. That physical body is housing the new man. The new man has been created in the image of Christ Jesus himself. The new man is renewed on a daily basis according to the book of 2 Corinthians. The new man is also the man of the heart. He is the man of the heart according to the book of 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. He is the man of the heart and the scripture teaches us that as the hidden man of the heart, our body becomes the instrument of righteousness which needs to be used as the vehicle to give expression to that inward man in this natural world. And as that natural man is crucified, then the inward man begins to grow and be transformed. As we had studied on yesterday's message, the process of being born again and growing in the grace of our Lord, growing and being changed from glory to glory into the image of Jesus by the Spirit of God. So, if evil is present with me, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. My delight is not so much in the flesh. That's why emotionalism and emotion has its part, but you can never be guided by it. Emotion is part of the soul. And a lot of people can become very emotional. They can weep, they can cry, they can holler, they can yell, they can kick, they can get excited. But it is of the emotion of the soul. We have to go beyond the soul. And we have to be able to, from the inner recesses of the inner man, be able to pull up those things which in our lives can glorify God. For God must be worshipped according to John chapter 4, verse 24, in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, not a floating Casper the friendly ghost, but that is his, his nature. He is a spirit. And those that worship him must worship him and serve him in spirit and in truth. So therefore we have to have the truth of God's word continually and constantly abiding in us. And our worship for it to be genuine and true must be of the spirit of our innermost being. Sometimes there may be emotional outbursts, but the emotion is not the determining factor. Sometimes we may try to reason things out instead of walking by faith. But God is a spirit, and He must be worshiped in spirit. And we must redirect our will to come in line with His will 
to fulfill his purposes. So it winds up being that in, the inward man delights in the law of God. He really does. He loves, love your Lord, your God with all your might, all your strength, all that is within you. And love your neighbor in the same manner as you love yourself. Now here's an interesting verse. In the book of Philippians in chapter 2, in verse 13, the issue and the answer that Paul was having, the question that he was asking, how can I do this? How can I do good when evil is present with me? I'm being influenced in my physical body. The sin nature has already been dealt with at the cross. The price for sin has already been paid and forgiven. Remission of sins has taken place. Redemption has been bought for me. How do I deal with this flesh that seems to get in the way, but yet, it needs to submit and subject itself as an instrument of glory, honor, and grace. This answer is provided by the Apostle Paul in Philippians in chapter 2 in verse 13. He had learned how to buffet his body in 1 Corinthians 9.27 how to bring it and subject it, in other words, so that the body obeyed what the will of God and our will agreed with. And here is how it was accomplished. Now the flesh has been brought under subjection. Now the flesh must obey. The will is giving the commands. And this is how it's accomplished in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Notice, the Apostle Paul said that God accomplishes two things in us. He gives us of his will and he gives us the ability, the strength, the might, the energy to be able to work out his good pleasure. The scripture is very thorough in this one fact. That God, so, sometimes people will say, well, I, I just can't do that. Well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know if I want to do that. If you will permit God, He will give you both the willingness, and you submit to it, and the ability both to will and to do, to accomplish. The word which God worketh, that word there, is the exact same word to do. If we could translate it a different way, we could almost say, For it is God which does in you both to will and to do. God does the to do so that you can do the to do of His good pleasure. It's a very interesting word. 
but it is God that both worketh, that means He does, in you both the willingness, the ability to will, and the ability to accomplish and do that thing. So, as we were mentioning earlier, Paul wanted to know how he could do that, what he really wanted to do, and not do what he didn't want to do. Right here we find the answer. If we rely and depend on God, I mean truly say, Lord, I don't want to do this, I can't do this, or you will be able to either do or not do what you need to do or shouldn't do because you are relying on the Spirit of God to help you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Notice, not your good pleasure, His good pleasure. As we had mentioned earlier in Matthew 6.10, concerning thy kingdom come and thy will be done, it is His will. Ultimately, on that garden when Jesus was praying, not only was the disciples, was the flesh weak and the spirit willing, but when Jesus was praying and having his breakthrough to go to the cross and seal that decision, no turning back, he did say, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, my will will come in alignment it will align itself with your will, O God, and your will will be the one that I will accomplish. Now, why is this also so important, especially concerning, and as we started our study on the sacrifice of the red heifer, and we talked about the influence that it has, and its representation, and all its shadows and its types, concerning the the natural moral death of man and the spiritual death of man, the second death, how that all is tied into that red heifer sacrifice and how all that cleansing and purifying process uh, had to do with the ashes and that one running water, that living water, to purify us in our conscience with a pure conscience. We can guide our imagination and our imagination, which just when we think we have asked above and beyond what we can ask or even think, God is able to do above and beyond that. But now that we have been able to imagine that and we have been guided by a good conscience to be able to imagine those things and think in those areas, now we can put our will into gear because those imaginations are going to be also intentions, motives and purposes and plans that we have devised in our mind, in our imagination to do something but now the energizing will and power of the Holy Spirit and the will of God in our lives will accomplish the both to will and to do. That's why there are so many people that are able to do so many great things for God because they were able to bring this process to fruitfulness. A process of bringing their minds and their imaginations and their will all submitted 
and completely under the guidance of the Spirit of God to be able to do both to will and to do the do part. Have the ability to do it. To be energized by God to be accomplishing these things. Now, there's a lot more that we can say on this, but we've got to move on uh, concerning the battle of the will. Let's actually look at a real example of this in the scripture, in the Old Testament, where this battle is literally being fought out. And then we'll see how that battle was fought out with Adam and Eve and the serpent, that devil that deceived them, how that battle was fought out when Cain wound up killing Abel, how that battle was fought out when Abraham submitted himself 100% to God and was able to offer Isaac up and at the last minute be stopped by God. Seeing, the Bible says, that he was able to believe that God out of those very ashes. Can you imagine this man's imagination to bring back a living son that had been sacrificed and consumed by a fire and believe that the God of heaven, the God of glory would literally bring him back up out of those ashes. You've got to have quite an imagination for that. In fact, you've got to have faith. You've got to have a trust in God. And there's where we're entering into the battle for faith. Now, going back to our example. We said we wanted to give an example in the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 12. The scripture here sometimes has a double meaning, talking about a natural, physical king, but at the same time talking about a spiritual being, making a comparison between the both. And here's where things actually shift and take a different route. Let's look at how this individual archangel by the name of Lucifer or a cherub of God wound up being that fallen angel that we know as Satan, know as the devil and know as the evil one. And remember, we're studying the battle for the will. And here's an example of it. How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. And of course, <clears throat> the definition that is given here is one of the morning star, one of brightness. Meaning that he had a covering of a certain glory upon him, which you can also study on your own in chapter 28 of the book of Ezekiel. At this point, this is the conclusion of part number two of message number eight on the Red Heifer. If you will please continue to part number three, where we will continue this message.